Well, again, thank you so much to those who have helped to put our service together. Um, for Emmy Kabatsky, who offered our children's time this morning, Emmy was also one of our uh, previous children's ministry in interns, and so we're glad to be able to hear from our former interns uh, and share their messages as well. Um, for Bob Eden, who is our liturgist this morning, um, and I, oh my gosh, y'all, I um, meant to cut down that passage and I forgot, and Bob read all of it. And so I told him he gets extra, extra credit. Um, and I think I promised that the next time he's liturgist, we'll make it a shorter passage um, and an easier one. Thank you so much for sharing that, um, sh uh, for being our liturgist this morning. Uh, and for Sally Ritterbush, who offered that beautiful song for us this morning, um, thank you. To our praise team who continues to offer the music that we uh, we use to lead our services and Gary Brubaker who masterfully puts everything all together. Thank you. <sighs> um, and also thank you to all of you who have been um, who have been assisting in our in-person services for our ushers and greeters and acolytes and liturgists and tech support. Thank you. <sighs> now we're continuing in this series on finding joy. Um, because who can't use more joy? Um, so we're looking at what the Bible says about joy, how we find it, even if we may not be feeling all that joyful, and what we do with it. <clears throat> so we're talking about finding joy. We talked about joy complete, included. Today we're talking about joy in the church, and we'll close next week with wonder and awe. So today... Joy in the church. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> so a little story first. Um, this story uh, I may have told I've probably told a bajillion times over my lifetime and maybe even a bajillion times here. Um, but when I was in college, uh, I had gone away to college and had come back to my home church, um, and there'd been a slight change in some of the musical stylings of worship, and, um, and there was a, um, a movement towards some more contemporary music. And this was really comfortable for me because as I'd been in college, I'd been leading a praise band. And so I was much more familiar and much more comfortable at this point with more contemporary music. And the church that I grew up in at that time had not been comfortable with it, and it was very new. So uh, one Sunday morning, um, the Sunday morning I, I happened to be in town, I went to church and out there a little bit late, and so I didn't get my normal spot, um, and we had a balcony, and so I was like under the balcony in like the last row, and um, <clears throat> and the music started, and I was so excited, and um, it just was filling my spirit, and I was going along with it. I don't remember what song we were singing, but I was clapping along, and I was singing at the top of my lungs. This was like, this was worship to me. And the woman who was sitting in front of me kept turning around and glaring at me. And I, I tried to ignore it, but, you know, when something like that happens, you know, it throws you off a little bit. But I was just like, no, this is, this is, this is my time to worship. I'm not, I'm not focused on, you know, everybody around me. I'm focused on God. 
Um, <clears throat> and, you know, probably about halfway through the second song, she turns around and looks straight in my face and she goes, stop it. There are no happy noises to be made in church. And then she turns around. And I thought, what? In my most, not my most mature moment, I may have clapped a little bit louder and may have clapped a little bit closer to her. Maybe, I mean, it's been a long time, so memories are a little fuzzy. But you know, that, st that has stuck with me so much. Um, there are no happy noises to be made in church. And oh, goodness gracious, that is, that is, that's like the opposite of true. <laughs> yeah, it's like the opposite. I mean, church really should contain all of emotions and, and it's where we get to be our full and authentic self. And sometimes that is full of joy and happiness and sometimes it's not. But to say that, there's no happy noises to be made in church. I mean, what if I said there's no crying that there's no crying in church, just like there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in church. I mean, it just doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Because again, we get to bring all that we are and all that we have. Now, we worship differently, each of us, um, even though we have corporate worship together and we're singing the same songs, they mean different things to each of us. And sometimes the prayers mean different things. Sometimes the scripture means different things. It, it captures us in different times and different places. I mean, there's times when I have finished preaching a sermon that I'm like, this is the best sermon ever. And somebody will be like, meh. And there's sometimes that I preach a sermon and I'm like, that was mediocre at best. And someone will tell me, oh my gosh, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. And sometimes I'll preach a sermon and someone will say, that is exactly what I needed to hear. And here's what I heard you. Here's what you said that meant so much to me. And I'll go, I didn't say that. And the only thing that I can attribute to all of those things is the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, encourages us, and compels us in all sorts of different ways. And that's where this story of Pentecost comes from, is this Holy Spirit infusing into our community. So um, I asked a few, a few friends recently about their thoughts on church. And it would probably be pretty unsurprising that those who were involved in their churches, they all had really positive things to say. And those who were not involved or had negative experiences of church, well, they had negative things to say. It may also be unsurprising to you that the only growing religious affiliation in the United States has been none. N-O-N-E, none, nothing, nada, zip. <clears throat> now, while some Christian traditions have been a little bit slower to decline, the truth is now that every Christian tradition or denomination um, is experiencing decline, some sharper than others, um, 
but every, every denomination is experiencing this. Now, I tell you this, and you're probably thinking, uh, isn't this a sermon about joy? How is this joyful? And some of this news about um, the decline of churches and church involvement can be pretty disheartening, and, and it may even be depressing. And perhaps this is something that you know personally as your children or your grandchildren or other relatives no longer have involvement in church. Now, I say these things, um, I think it's important to name them up front, not to induce guilt or shame or blame or anything otherwise, but simply to share the information and acknowledge where we are in our current reality. And some might hear this news and be frustrated or even angry. And you can probably list some of the things that you think are reasons as to why this is happening. And you might be right. <clears throat> I don't think that there's one answer, and I don't think there's one reason. And I think that there's a place for our frustration and for our anger. Sometimes I think we need to lament and mourn what has gone in order to see what might be new. And also, this is an amazing opportunity, right? I mean, it's an opportunity for us to be able to share our own stories, an opportunity to be able to share the stories of the scriptures, the stories of how we know Jesus and how Jesus has changed our lives an opportunity to share our stories of faith to people who may not have heard about faith before, or at least not heard about it in positive ways. Now, it can be daunting and also an incredible opportunity at the same time. Now, here's one of those stories, the story of Pentecost. The story of Pentecost goes that after Jesus' death and resurrection— and ascension, they were in this house. And, and the story goes that the Holy Spirit came with a mighty rushing wind to the waiting disciples. Remember, Jesus had promised, I will not leave you orphaned. This was the advocate that Jesus had promised. The Holy Spirit was promised to be a connection to Jesus, to remind of all of Jesus's messages and also call to witness. Now, use your imagination and think about being in the place with the disciples on the first Pentecost. I mean, maybe you're sitting and waiting. Maybe you're still trying to wrap your head around everything that has just happened. Your teacher and leader died and then rose from the dead. And then you had this ascension and, and things were so beyond what you thought. I mean... Maybe you're even just trying to catch your breath. And then there's this mighty rushing wind. And not just wind, but tongues of fire that touched each of the disciples. It rested on each of the disciples' head and they could understand one another in their own language, even those that they couldn't understand before. Do you, are you imagining this? because there's a lot of holy chaos that's happening in this. I mean, even if, even if they were totally clear on everything that had happened before, I mean, now, what, there's a lot of, what just happened? Now, even if, let's, let's just say that even if everyone there was totally on board 
Everything made sense. They knew and understood everything. What about the people who weren't or those who are outside? Because in the scriptures, it says that the people who were not a part of this, they're like, oh, they're those Christians, those little Christ uh, filled with new wine. It's nine o'clock in the morning, new wine. I mean, they're calling these people drunk and are like, yeah, don't listen to them. We know about that. <clears throat> I mean, there's so much happening, right? <clears throat> this was something that none of, us, none of us had experienced up to that point. Everything was new. We'd not experienced resurrection before. We'd not experienced this infusion of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the disciples felt a little, a little lost or a little overwhelmed a little. Maybe they even wondered what is going on. And then, then Peter gets up and to speak and he tells everyone, look, here's what's happening. We known this was going to happen. And this is impulsive Peter. Peter is always the first to act. But there's been a change in Peter from the last few times that we've seen him. He's gained confidence. He's gained the ability to speak authoritatively in public. And Peter has certainly been a work in progress. Aren't we all a work in progress? From his time as a fisherman, as a preacher and a teacher, from his time of denying Jesus to proclaiming Jesus' message in the middle of Jerusalem. Some might ask what got into Peter himself. Was he filled with new wine? Just the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing story. It's incredible. And for some people, it's a little too much. They're not quite able to think about tongues of fire, mighty rushing winds. And if you're that person, that's okay. The important thing to know is that the Spirit is available and around. Now, Pentecost is the day that we often say is the day that the church started, or sometimes it's called the birthday of the church. And I've said that many times, and I think that there's a lot of truth to that. And also, I, I, the church has been happening before this day. They've cared for one another. They pooled all of their resources to take care of each other. They've been sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. They've been healing people. John took care of Mary, Jesus' mother, after Jesus told him to. Mary Magdalene has been telling people of Jesus' resurrection. She's been preaching this good news. She was the first to preach this good news. So to say that church hadn't been happening isn't quite true, because it had. But this, this is a little different. So even though church had been happening, and it's not quite the beginning of church with Pentecost. It's, it's this public witness. So what is the church? <clears throat> Rachel Held Evans, who was a Christian author and speaker, 
she said these couple of things about church. She said, this is what God's kingdom is like. This is what church is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they're rich or worthy or good, but because they're hungry, because they said yes. And there's always room for more. She also said, imagine if every church became a place where everyone is safe, but no one is comfortable. Imagine if every church became a place where we told one another the truth. We might just create sanctuary. Or Pope Francis said this about the church. He said, I prefer a church which is bruised, hurting and dirty because it has been out on the streets rather than a church which is unhealthy from being confined and from clinging to its own security. Now there is no shortage to, to quotes about the church and maybe you have some that are some of your favorite. The church is the body of Christ at work at the world at work in the world. Church is a place where all are welcome and none are excluded. Church is a place where we can be honest and loved. No need to hide who we are or pretend we're anything other than who we are. Church is a place where we share the good news of the gospel to everyone. And if it isn't good news for everyone, it's not good news. Church is a place of prayer and worship and also a place of joy and delight. And those things don't need to be separate. There can be happy noises in church. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Church should be home. And church isn't necessarily a building. As we sing, church is a people. Sometimes the church is marching. Sometimes it's bravely burning. So how do we live this story of Pentecost? How do we live as the church? What do you do with the story of tongues of fire? I mean, that's kind of the million dollar question, right? How do we live as the church? <clears throat> we can take the lessons from the first century church and use them in the 21st century. And of course, things have changed. I mean, things have changed in the last year that have dramatically affected how we live our lives and how we do things. And we still probably aren't sure what, what everything will look like even in a year or two. And yet, our mission is the same. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And we already do that in a variety of ways here at Faith United Methodist Church. Through our connection with Freeport Area Church Co-op, offering food and assistance. Offering Sunday school for both children and adults wrestling with questions of faith. Offering space for groups to find safe space for our godly play, for other classes that we offer, for support groups. There are ways that we have continued to be in mission and ministry 
in new ways even over this past year. We've delivered masks to area schools and to the health department. I think that we had, um, we had over a thousand masks that we had delivered from our church alone, not including what other churches did as well. We offered assistance to FACC when food was needed. We have offered assistance to the Boys and Girls Club through our mission committee. We have offered worship in so many different ways online. We've had in-person worship, outdoor worship, drive-through communion, worship kits, Sunday school bags that have been delivered or picked up. We have offered so many different, we've offered Christ in so many different ways. We've wrestled with questions, trying to understand who God is, and always coming to the table that feeds us and feeds others. Because we said yes, yes to God, yes to the story of Jesus Christ, yes to the ways of the Holy Spirit call us. We've been working on making the world a better place here and now and for the future. How do we do this? We do this by having conversations, by crying with those who cry, laughing with those who laugh, praying, putting legs to our prayers, by being the disciples that we are. And so we celebrate the work that is being done and the work that is to come, the work through the spirit that continues to call us. Every year, um, as a part of our birthday celebrations, um, I always ask a few questions of the person whoever's birthday it is. Um, what have you learned this year? What have you learned this past year? Um, and what do you want to learn or do differently in the year to come? And they're always really helpful questions to think about for individuals, but I think that they're also questions for us to think about as the church as well. How do we want to rededicate ourselves to make a difference in this world? Now, after the birthday person answers these questions, we eat dessert. And to celebrate where we've come and to celebrate where we're going, usually at a birthday, there's a candle, at, at least one candle. And we light the candles with fire. And we celebrate. And, and fire is... It's beautiful, and it's also a little dangerous, just like the Holy Spirit. Light candles, eat desserts, sing songs. There's something about that that just feels like church. Delight in the church, your place in the church. You belong here. You belong to God. And we belong to each other. And help others to find their place in the church. Join in the work of the Spirit, the dance of the divine. So maybe you're not touched with literal tongues of fire this morning or any morning. And yet... Were not our hearts burning within us? And yet, 
the Spirit continues to invite us to join in this dance of life, in this dance of the divine. May we all be reinvigorated with the passions of the Spirit. Thanks be to God. Amen.